0: turn in your Bibles to the first chapter, the book of Joel, as we continue our study through the Word. Now, an interesting thing about Joel is that we do not know very much about Joel. That that is an interesting aspect to the book of Joel. Most of the time when you have the prophets, they will be giving you time stamps in the in the scriptures, they will tell you the king that is reigning or there will be an aspect that allows you to know when the book was written. But w- with Joel, we are missing that time stamp. And, uh, and so we, we have to kind of examine just from the text itself to try and fit it in. And scholars have different opinions uh, on it. But uh, one of the things that they do agree is that Joel is one of the earliest uh, of the prophets that we uh, have. It's believed that he wrote uh, his. Uh, book during the time that Elisha and Elijah were ministering. Now, Elisha and Elijah never wrote anything. Powerful, powerful ministries, but they themselves never wrote. And so Joel is thought to have been a contemporary to uh, these uh, prophets uh, here. Now, the events that kind of bring about the writing of the uh, of the book of Joel was this incredible plague of locusts that had come into the land. Now, locusts, they would come and they would just multiply and they would move through the land and they would just wipe it out. I mean, they would just grind off every single bit of vegetation that uh, that there was. They would come in so thick that it said that they were uh, like a cloud. They would even cover over the sun and and so there was this this plague of locusts at the time and and Joel sees this uh, this incredible devastation that that comes upon the land and so first and foremost he he ministers now to the aftermath of this you know of the of the locusts but then secondly also prophetically he he moves this event into the day of the Lord that this is a harbinger uh, of the day of the Lord and uh, and so uh, we will see that you know he focuses on one specific aspect uh, of the day of the Lord and that is uh, namely where the Lord then ultimately comes in uh, and wipes out Israel's enemies and, and defends and protects her, and uh, and so Joel is going to do two things. He's going to minister to the people directly, and, and then also instruct them about the day of the Lord. Now. The day of the Lord, we know from the other scriptures that it includes numerous events. We see that long before the Lord returns and destroys Israel's enemies, we are going to see the one world government rise. We are going to see the persecution of the nation of Israel, and and it's going to be a great time of anguish uh, for Israel. We see that it is going to be a period of uh, of great distress you have the tribulation period and then you have the last three and a half years of that seven year period which is known as the uh, as the great tribulation and at the end of the great tribulation you are going to have the Lord return. That's when the Lord returns in his second coming. And, and that is then going to lead into the judgment of the nations and then ultimately to the establishment of the millennial reign of Christ. And so there is going to be that thousand years upon the, the face of the earth. Oh, how I can't wait for that. How wonderful that time it is. And we we're gonna be here. We are gonna be on this earth, and and we are gonna live in peace and harmony with one another. One thing that history has taught the world is that man cannot successfully rule over man because power corrupts, and so ultimately it will always have its corrupting power, and so uh, we have never seen righteousness yet uh, here upon the face of the earth, but we will experience that. When Jesus Christ is sitting upon the throne, then we are going to live in true righteousness here upon the earth. We will no longer know war. Can you imagine that? when no longer will there be economics of uh, of war and the military machines and the amount of money that is, is spent defending and uh, and assaulting nations against nations uh, globally it says that you know the plows the, the the shields and the weapons are going to be beat into plowshares and, uh, and and now into farming equipment and and into this great period of peace and prosperity. It says that uh, the curse and, and aspects of the curse will be uh, rolled back where the lion now will lie down with lamb that, the, that the peace of man against man will also be experienced in the animal kingdom uh, as well. The violence in the, in the animal kingdom. I don't know when I was growing up, they used to have this show Mutual of Omaha. Can you finish that? Wild kingdom, you know, and I'm telling you, you know, that I don't know if that's PG rated today or whatnot, but the violence of nature and the violence of the predatorial animals and the way that they hunt and take them down, the footage that they used to uh, show and all, but the, the wildness of the animal kingdom is also going to change. And the animals... Uh, will not have to be predatory any longer they will live in peace with one another there will be this glorious harmony now upon the face of the earth the world ruled the way that it was intended to be ruled and and that's going to happen for a, a, a thousand years. That's going to be glorious. And, and part of the reason that that is going to transpire is that at the end of the tribulation, Satan is going to be bound and he's going to be cast down into the abuso. So for a thousand years, he is chained up and, and not able to create all of his mischief. But at the end of that thousand year reign, then Satan is going to be let out once again. And he is going to then bring temptation and try to draw people away from the Lord and the things of the lord and and they will be he will be successful in drawing some away and and he will lead one final rebellion against Christ and against jerusalem and and then there will be a a judgment that comes from God that will destroy the opposition and and then the great white throne of judgment then satan is done he is finished. he will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity and no longer will he uh, annoy or pester or tempt or uh, lie or deceive or destroy or his time is is done the great white throne Books will be brought forth. And, and all those that had rebelled against God and wanted no part of God, they will get what they want. They will have no part of God and of his glorious kingdom. And, and they will follow Satan into the uh, lake of fire. And, and then it's all going to just be purged. The sin-stained world, the creation of God, that when he created it, it was so good. It was so beautiful. It was so wonderful until sin came in and corrupted and defiled, defiled heaven, defiled earth, defiled the heart of men and, and led to rebellion against God. And so there is going to be a final purging then. Purging of the earth, purging of the heavens, a destruction, burn it all up Let's start all over again and God will recreate now new heavens and a new earth and then we will dwell together with him for all eternity and we will enter into that uh, eternal state and uh, and so the, uh, the the day of the Lord ends uh, uh, right before the eternal state, brings us all the way in through the tribulation, through the return of Christ, through the millennial reign, through the final rebellion, and, and then into the, the final burning up of, of everything, the final cleansing of fire that ends now what is known as the day of the Lord and so it is that extended period of time is known as the day of the Lord and so from before Christ in the Old Testament, they knew of the day of the Lord. They had pieces of the of the day of the Lord. They had pieces of, of the heavens and the earth being rolled up like scrolls and being discarded. They would have their pieces uh, of them, and, but they didn't have those pieces yet put together. And you remember that even the disciples, when Jesus was sitting upon the Mount of Olives and they looked at the temple and said, how glorious it was, and how beautiful and amazing. And Jesus said, not one stone is going to remain upon that. And they asked, what is that going to be? And what is the end of uh, of the age going to be? They they wanted to know. They, they knew what the scriptures had promised, but they didn't quite understand where these things these events would take place and so the all of that discourse where jesus now takes and begins to build forwards and lay out the eschatology of the of the end times so we have jesus giving his you know his uh, his teaching on the Uh, on the day of the Lord and on these events that are going to take place. And you have his commentary and instruction on it. And then we go all the way back to uh, where we are now with Joel. And Joel has one, one glimpse, one bite. One piece, maybe even the first one uh, of what that day of the Lord is going to uh, look like, and and so the, the the judgment that we see from the the locusts uh, and, and the great tribulation, and uh, and so now Joel is going to uh, going to minister not only to to the people, but also we see that uh, he is going to. Record for us a, a glimpse of of these events of the day of the Lord now we 're going to see in this short book it 's only three chapters long, and so uh, not a very long or lengthy, just a a quick portrait, a quick snapshot of uh, of the things that had happened back then, and then uh, a foretelling of the things that uh, that will be but he 's going to bring a, a message to Judah uh, to the tribe of judah 's southern kingdom. A message promising a second chance if the people would return to God. And, uh, and so we see the, you know, the, the decades of the nation, the history. The, the, they would continue to go through their cycle. God would bless them. They would enjoy their prosperity. In their prosperity, they would become prideful. And as they became prideful, they began to turn away from the Lord and and they started to just enjoy their their own prosperity. And, And so they would depart from God. They would head into apostasy and then God would judge them and bring about a correction. And then they would say, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. And they would repent. And then God would bless them again. And then they would start to enjoy their prosperity and become independent and into apostasy and then judgment and repentance and blessing and over and over and the wheels on the bus go. (laughs) And this is the history of the nation uh, of Israel. It seems that every single time that God really would pour out the prosperity the blessings, when, when they had the fig trees and they had the, the land and they had peace and security and, and safety, that they would just turn away from God and begin to get involved in, in apostasy. It seems our nation is following that same exact pattern that he took our struggling nation in its infancy and, and pilgrims and all and and blessed him and then blessed them abundantly and then blessed him on top of blessings to where we became the wealthiest, most powerful superpower in the entire world. That was just God blessing our uh, our nation. And then in our prosperity, we see how we have just started to morally go off the rails. We are, Our nation is morally off the rails right now. Amen? The issues that we are struggling with, you just, you know, one of the things that I always ask is, how crazy does crazy have to get before you say, this is nuts? I, I, I mean, this is just crazy, you know? And, and, and so, I believe that we're getting, you know, I believe we're past there. This is this is crazy. And so what's happening is, is in the midst of our own prosperity, we see that we are pushing as a nation as hard away from God as we can possibly push, as the people can possibly push. And, and yet God is so gracious and so loving. In the, in the midst of, uh, of the correction that he brings to his own people, the nation of Israel, his instrument, for salvation to the uh, world. We see that he brings a, a plague upon them. And, and we see that Joel's message is going to be this, you know, this, this message that, that if you will return, then God will bless. And, and, but we are going to see that, uh, that once again, he is going to call for this wholehearted return, not the superficial return but the wholehearted return. And, and so uh, we are going to see this, uh, this message. And, and so kind of the, the, the outline of this short book is, is that the calamities of God are a warning of the things that are going to come or the warnings of what the great tribulation is going to be like. And, and if you will heed these warnings and, and then return to the Lord with all your heart, with all your heart, wake up out of your slumber. Stop with the uh, raising yourself uh, up, being prideful and, and, and seeking just the blessings. Seek the blessor, not the created, but the creator. And and so that wholehearted return back to the Lord, and and when you return to the Lord, then God's fullest blessings will be poured out. God's fullest blessing is his intimacy, his intimacy with God. See, when, when we sin, God withdraws. And then, when we repent, then he restores that relationship, and in his presence is a fullness of joy and and when we sin and and he withdraws, we can be at that place where we're still enamored with our sin, and we don't even notice the departure of of God, but it won't be long before the the sin that is so exciting and so enticing and so fun, turns to gravel in your mouth. And when it turns to gravel in your mouth and then you turn to the Lord and the Lord is not there because he had departed and you never even knew it. And so here we see that that when you do return, when you do become like that in Prodigal where, where it seems so fun in the world until one day he woke up and he's eating pig slop to survive. And he comes to his senses <laughs> that the servants in my father's house are living better than I am. That sin will take you away from the blessings of God and had brought the prodigal so far that now the quality of his life uh, was worse than, uh, than even one of the servants in his father's household. He came to his senses. And he comes back to the father. And he, he's rehearsing the whole time. I, I, I'm not asking to even be a son. I just, Dad, I just want a job. Can I just... Have a job as a servant here in your household. And and you remember what the response was? That the only time that we ever see the father run in scriptures is when he runs to his son, when he runs to embrace him. And he gives him the signet ring, and he puts the robe on him and the sandals on his feet, and he calls for a feast. You see, that is the heart of our heavenly father when we do repent. He doesn't say, you know, son, you really blew it. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to start you as a servant. You can start as a foreman and work your way up. back to son again, you know. Immediate, instantaneous, forgiveness, embrace. Because, you see, God created you to be connected to him. He created you for the desire. His desire for you was intimacy. Intimacy with him. That, that's what he... That's what he desires. And it breaks his heart when sin separates us and and, and sin pushes him back from that intimacy with us. And the minute that we're willing to push that sin out, then, man, he is so excited to be back in our lives and, and to be right back together again. And so Joel is a short book, but it's a powerful book, and it's such a good reminder for each and every one of us when we stray a little bit, when we get a little distracted, when, when other things and cares in this world start to grip our hearts to where we lose sight of what's really important and who's important. To know that his arms are wide open the second that we bring him back into focus and we say that we are sorry. Let's begin this first chapter, Joel, first verse, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Bethuel and so here we see that you know the prophet indicates that this message was from God this is the word of the Lord that came to Joel and but he doesn't date it doesn't let us know who was reigning in Judah or in Israel he just says that it came to Joel and Joel means uh, Joel means uh, Jehovah is God and He's the son of mm, pethuel And that's the only fact that uh, is given about Joel, is, is that he is the son of pethuel Now, who is Pethuel? We have no idea. <laughs> so it doesn't help us very much. But it's interesting to notice the only fact we get about him, uh, and that's uh, it. And, uh, and so uh, we see in verse 2, Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? And so uh, here we see that he begins by you know, crying out to the nation Hear this, you, you elders. And, and these are the, the people that are the white hairs, not the official leaders, but the aged. Who take and pass on the stories from one generation to the next generation? He says, "You know, give here all you inhabitants of the land. Let's, let's start with the the oldest, and then uh, all the way to anybody else." And and, and he's asking this uh, this question: Has anything like this happened in your days that's why he asks the oldest people first because if it hasn't happened in the oldest people's lives and it hasn't happened in the younger people's uh, lives but you know uh, you elders have you ever seen anything like this you young people everybody in the nation have you ever seen Anything like this, or even in the days of your fathers, did your fathers or your grandfathers, did they ever tell you of anything like what we just went through? Uh, Did your fathers or, or, or your grandfathers, did they ever see anything like COVID? (laughs) <laughs> Have we ever seen anything like COVID that shut the entire world down the way that it did? And, and so this kind of a, a, a singular event that took place that, that the likes of which they had never experienced before as a, as a nation, to the depth, to the degree of what, of what they had just uh, experienced. He, he says, tell your children about it. And let your children tell their children. When we get old, they're going to, they're gonna say, well, now, what was that COVID thing all about? And were you alive when they had that? That COVID? did they make people stay in their houses and not let anybody go out? And and you will have stories. Oh, sonny, let me tell you about what happened in those days. And <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and and this is now the same thing. They have had this this national. Calamity that has scarred that has seared into the, 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 the their experience they 'll never forget, it and they 'll never be the same because of it, and so he says in Tell your children about it. And let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And and this is something that, uh, that is happening, he is saying, that is unparalleled and pass it down from generation to generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten, and so uh, here we see the the beginning of the description of the devastation that uh, that this locust infestation mm, caused. We see that there are four terms uh, that are used uh, in verse four with regards to the locusts. Uh, there is the, the chewing locust and the swarming locust and the crawling locust and the consuming locust. And I want you to know that those are four different Hebrew words and and, and so different thoughts as to the the four words that are used uh, here. Now, there are 80 or 90 different species of locusts uh, in the East. And so some think that he is uh, describing four different species of locusts, but others uh, think that he's describing the four stages uh, of locusts. Locusts are uh, Females lay eggs, uh, and then those uh, eggs uh, hatch uh, into, these, uh, into these grasshoppers, into these locusts. And, and when they're first hatched, they don't have wings. Uh, and uh, they are very soft. The shell of them is very soft. And then they will shed that. Uh, and then the next shell will be a little bit harder. And they will shed that. And then the next a little bit harder. And about the fourth or the fifth uh, shedding, they now will be very hard on the outside. And they will have their wings uh, will now be developed. Uh, and they'll be able to fly and they also will be uh, mature at that point, and so there are four stages uh, of uh, locusts uh, now, and and each of those stages they represent different dangers of destruction, and and, and so we see here that uh, that now it's an interesting thing about them is that they're very independent, but if they become grouped together into a, a, a tightly condensed area, then they will herd together, they will swarm, they'll form into a swarm then and stay together. And so when uh, when the eggs uh, are populated into an area and and they all are hatched at the same time, they will then gather together. They, they will observe a regular order. They will march as an army. At evening, they will then descend from their flight and, and form almost into camps when they, uh, when they land in the morning. When the sun has risen, they will uh, rise up uh, again. If they don't find food and and they will then fly in the direction of the wind. They can go in uh, immense numbers and occupy a space of 10 or 12 miles in length and four or five miles in breadth. Can you imagine that? 10 miles by four or five miles uh, long and moving as uh, as a group. The sound of their wings is said to be horrific and when they descend upon the earth they will cover the a vast track and, and and when they land in the horde they can be listen to this a foot to a foot and a half deep as they land on each other and they just keep on moving and in, in, in landing uh, and shuffling uh, along. And uh, they pass over walls and enter doors and windows. It's just absolutely unstoppable. They devour every single thing that is green. They strip off the barks of the trees and, uh, and even break them into pieces by, uh, by their weight. There was a swarm that was recorded back in 1899 that crossed the Red Sea and was said to cover 2,000 square miles. 2,000 square miles. And so here we see that there is this incredible locust swarm that just descends upon Judah. and. And no wonder now, as they look upon this devastation that takes place, that that suggests now the the great tribulation and and the destruction of the future. In verse 5, Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth." Uh, and so uh, here we see that, uh, that now uh, all of those who, uh, who were part of the luxury classes, uh, the wealthy that uh, had their wine and all, we see that there is a, a call to, to weep and to wail now. It says in verse 6, For a nation has come up against my land, strong, without number, his teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. And so, here we see that uh, that now the the nation, the swarm of locusts, are are like a a nation without number. They devastate and. And so it says that a nation has come upon, and that word for come upon is a military term. And so Joel is using a specific military term that speaks of the approach of an enemy. And his teeth are the teeth of a lion. The jaws of some of the locusts are toothed like a saw blade. Uh, and so they are able to cut through wood. They're even able to cut through uh, leather uh, as well as uh, anything that is green. And, uh, and so we see that, uh, that Joel kind of sees these, these, these insects as a forerunner of, of even more terrible punishments. And, uh, and unless God's people would repent then we see that even greater destruction is going to uh, come upon them and uh, and so uh, here we see this call now to repentance as uh, as the nation had continued to waver between holiness and, and straying between worshipping God and going after the sensual pagan gods of the canaanites and And so now suddenly here we have this judgment that comes upon them. He he has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. And he has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Now the vine is a symbol of the nation of Israel and also the fig tree. And so the nation has been devastated. And so it's been wasted and by this plague of locusts and and interesting that God calls them my fig tree and my vine tree the judgment has has come upon what is God's because the nation of Israel is is God's people lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband uh, of her youth lament here we see that it's not just a mourning but but Joel uses one of the deepest pictures of uh, of inciting uh, now this this sorrow and and that's the picture the picture that he uses is of a, uh, of a young woman, a virgin who is betrothed and so she's betrothed. is there anything more exciting than when you're engaged? I love. Being around people that are engaged. It's so fun. They're so happy. They are so excited. They can't even stand it. They can't even sleep at night. They're just so happy and excited their whole life. They've met the person. It's like it's happening. They're planning their wedding. They're getting ready for their future. They're buying white paint for their picket fence. And I mean, it's just beautiful. You know, Their, their life is, is beautiful. And it's the picture of this, of this young virgin that is engaged whose husband suddenly dies. Now remember that you were considered husband and wife when you were betrothed, when you were in that uh, engagement period. And so you have this bride-to-be whose husband now tragically dies. And Joel says, mourn like like that mourn like your love your life your everything has been ripped out of your hands and and, and has been cruelly discarded from you and, and and get in touch with with that kind of mourning not just a you know oh we're sorry but the deepest most regrettable mournful sorrow that 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 you can even gravitate to and so with sackcloth the grain offering and the drink offering verse 9 have been cut off from the house of the lord the priests mourn who minister to the lord the grain offering and the drink offering they were the daily sacrifices the judgment that had come upon them had interrupted the worship of God, had interrupted the worship of God. The temple, the pride of the nation of Israel, those sacrifices that every single day reminded the nation that they are gods and people, stopped because of this judgment. And so it was like God put them in a timeout stop your meaningless sacrifices stop with the ritual worship of me stop with the routine i want your heart i want a real relationship with you i don't want the good morning good night i love you see you later bye That's not what I want. I want you. Jesus, when he was asked what's the most important thing, he said, love God superficially? No. Love God with what part of your heart? With all of your heart. That's the relationship that God's inviting you n- into. <laughs> Not a hi-bye, see you later, and, you know, and just that, that superficial relationship. God created you to know you and to be known by you, to have this amazing, intimate communion and fellowship with the one that created you. And that's what he's invited us, each and every one of us. We are blood-bought saints. We have been washed in the shed blood, and we now have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we have access to the Father in a way that that no other people prior to Jesus Christ ever uh, had access. The people of Joel never had access to God the way that, that we have access to to God today, but here we see that that God was pausing them because they had turned relationship into just a, uh, a ritual. The, the grain offering and the drink offering, they've been, they've been cut off. Don't bring me any more presents. Don't bring me any more presents. No more meaningless gifts. I don't want the gifts. I want you. I want you. And so he gets their attention, throws the clothes out of the bedroom, makes a statement, and stops the sacrifices. The field is wasted, the land mourns, the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. The oil fails. The land mourns. The land mourns. But it's the heart of God that's mourning. It's the heart of God that is sorrowful. The betrothed uh, has departed. Be ashamed you farmers, well, you vine dressers for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field has, has perished. The vine has dried up. Fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered and surely joy has withered away with the sons of men. And so and here we see the, the fig and the pomegranate and the palm tree. And, and all of these were, were abundant in, in Israel. And the apple tree, not sure exactly what in the original language that is a reference to possibly. An orange, maybe an apricot, could be an apple tree as well. But it's, it's the same tree word that's used elsewhere. It has a pleasant smell, pleasant taste. It's refreshing. All the trees of the field are withered. The prosperity that had so distracted them. How much are the crops going to bring in this year how, how much more are we going to be able to now have what trips are we going to be able to to go on I, I i cannot wait to post on instagram the uh, the next vacation that I am going to take and, and all of the, the the dreaming of the prosperity and the possessions and the abundance and and all of that 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 now took their eyes off of God and that's all that they thought about. Whoosh gone. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. And so in this poetic image, Joel kind of shows how the whole nation mourns this great destruction brought by the locusts. They they mourn the destruction, but are they mourning the loss of relationship with God? <laughs> He's hit them in their pocketbook, and they're like, wow, that really hurts. And, But God's saying, my heart is hurting. My heart is hurting. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail. You who minister before the altar, come. Lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. And so the wearing of... Sackcloth would add a solemnness to the occasion. Consecrate a fast. What's a fast? A fast is locking down the flesh. You see, they had become carnal in their appetites. They had become carnal in their lives. They were only worried about their, their physical life. And, and so a fast is when you stop feeding the flesh for a season. You just stop. And the, and the fast is a way of getting, getting a hold of yourself back to your senses, telling your flesh, you're not the boss of me. When your flesh starts to get out of control on you, when you start losing self-control, then it needs a timeout. (laughs) It needs to just be locked down and just to understand the word no again. That's what a fast does. And you can do any type of a fast. Have a little no, medium no, you can have a big no, you can have a long no, a short no, you can have just quick time out, a long time out. It is a matter of your ability to not let your flesh be in charge of you. Crucifying the flesh. Pick up your cross and follow me. Without the crucified flesh, the flesh pulls you and now you start serving the flesh instead of serving God. And so that fast now Get control of your flesh. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Seek. God, come to the house of the Lord. Come to the temple. Come to the place where where you're supposed to gather together with God. You see, they had just turned it into a ritual. So they weren't really connecting with God even when they were coming. They were just kind of going through the, the motions. I pray that that doesn't happen with us. The church never just something that you do that's plugged into your schedule that you just kind of come and occupy, but that, but that each and every time you come to, to encounter God, that, that God has a word for you. That he wants to talk to you and help you and love you and draw you close and wash you and hug you and that you leave built up and encouraged and closer than when you walked through the door. Consecrate a fast. Gather the assembly. Come to the house of the Lord and cry out to to God. The crops have been destroyed. Things are are serious. And listen, when things get serious in your life, get serious with God. Amen? May it be the first step. May, May you run to God. May you run right into his, his arms. When you're in trouble, when life is overwhelming you, when you are dealing with a swarm of locusts in your life that can come from any direction at any time. See, that was the problem. It was completely unexpected. Locusts were not forecasts in the weather. <laughs> they just showed up uninvited and destroyed everything. And calamity happens like that, doesn't it? One minute, man, everything's going fine. in a drop of a dime, your life changes. Ember and I were driving down Pecos the other day. Just on our way to run an errand on the side of the road single police officer car turned sideways and they were doing CPR and doing the compressions on the chest and there was a person just absolutely fighting for their life. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. They're just out running errands and there was a U-Haul that pulled out of a a thing. Now there's a shrine there. The person didn't make it. And we prayed as so we went by. In a moment, in an instant, your life just changes. And when calamity strikes, or difficulty, or hardship, run to the Lord run to the lord that's exactly what joel is doing everybody is freaking out at the loss of everything and joel is yelling to everybody to the temple to the temple to the lord (laughs) call for a fast let's cry out to god let's get into his presence and he immediately directs everybody when everybody doesn't know which way to go Here's the the voice uh, of the one bringing clarity as a clarion call to the nation, run to God. When you don't know which way to turn. Run to God. Run to God. And So, here we see that the destruction had come Alas, for the day, verse 15, for the day of the Lord is at hand and it shall come as destruction upon the Almighty. And and here we see that he leapfrogs now from the present calamity to the day of the Lord and to the great tribulation and to the judgments that are going to fall upon the, the world at that time. And it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. You read in the book of Revelation, the judgments that are going to come, the bowls and the trumpets, and those are coming from God. God is the one that is sending those those judgments in the same way that he had sent those locusts. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed shrivels under the clod. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down for the grain has uh, withered. They're helpless to stop. The locusts, they have their barns, they have their silos, they have their grain, they have their wealth. And here are the locusts just chewing it up. And there's nothing that you can do you can ha- protect yourself. You can get out there with a shovel. You can try and get them away. They're eating right through the walls. They're eating every single bit. And that giant storehouse just was reduced, listen, to not even a kernel. They didn't even leave one kernel behind. All of it gone. And they're just watching it. It's like a a slow-motion horror movie that that you're in the middle of and you can't get yourself uh, out of. A foot and a half deep just swarming through. I remember Amber and I, when uh, we had come out here and we were just about ready to plant (laughs) and and we were looking for where we were going to live in the apartment we were going to pick. And they had grasshoppers that had come in this incredible numbers. Like, I've never seen them before. And they literally flooded the parking lot. You couldn't, listen to this, you couldn't get from your car. We're just going into the 7-Eleven. You couldn't get into the 7-Eleven without stepping and smashing them because they were more, there. that's how many there were mm, all over the ground. <laughs> Imagine eighteen inches of them, and then they're just destroying everything that you've worked for, and it's just being taken right away from you, and you can't stop. It. Barns are broken down. For the uh, the grain has withered. How the animals grown? The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of the sheep and suffer punishment. And so here it says the, the animals groan, the, uh, they sob. They are participating, the animals are participating in the sorrows of man. When Adam and Eve fell and sin entered in, the animal kingdom fell with them. Everything that man had jurisdiction over was contaminated by sin. And so the the poor and the innocent, they have to bear the guilt of man's sin. And we see that Joel cries out, O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you for the water brooks are dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. And, and so again, the great tribulation when, when the fire is going to devour, when the famine is going to become so great food supplies are going to be interrupted, the future judgments that are going to come in that day of the Lord. But hear what is Joel's exhortation. O Lord, to you I cry out. May the Lord just hear us. May we be willing to cry out. If you are in any calamity whatsoever today, don't withdraw. Don't retreat into yourself. Don't wring your hands and and soldier it. Cry out to the Lord. Bring it to the God that loves you, that made you, that is desiring intimacy and closeness with you and will walk you through whatever fire you have to walk through. He will be there in the midst of it with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, You love us. You desire a real relationship with us. And may we not be so enamored with the things of this world that we forget about you. May we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach us what that looks like, God. What does that even look like? How do I do that? So draw us, Lord, to hunger for more of you, to thirst for more of you to draw nearer to you than we've ever been before and to continue to pursue you. In your presence is the fullness of joy. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.